Hello, and welcome to Strange Sound. This is Joe. Glad to be back. Another week of Strange Sound. This is episode 21. 21, title, yet to be determined. We'll see what I talk about today. Sometimes I actually don't even know what I'm going to talk about. Um, I just have things kind of circulating through my tiny brain, and whatever floats to the top, um, that's what I talk about. It's like one of those little, oh, what did they call the magic eight ball? You know, you'd shake it up and you'd look in the little window and something would float to the top. It's full of water. It's got a little um, dodecahedron um, device within, like a piece of plastic that's in the shape of a dodecahedron. And uh, it has um, different uh, little inscriptions on each facet. And whichever one floats to the top is the one. That's the magic eight ball tells you is the answer. Anyway, that wasn't what I was going to talk about today. I mean, here we are in Trump's America. Another week in paradise. 145,000 Americans dead from COVID. We know that that number is probably higher. Um, and well over 4 million infections. And we certainly know that that number is higher. As much as they try to minimize it, this thing is just too big not to be front of mind. And this is causing our um, strange, extremely strange president a lot of consternation. He really wants to change the subject, but it's very hard. So uh, I guess it's our business to uh, keep him on the same subject, right? I don't know. I'm not sure what our business is, but all I can say is people are hurting out there. A lot of people are sick. A lot of people are dying. Um, And it's unacceptable. It's a travesty, as... You all know, and um, people are about to lose, as I record this, this is um, the weekend before the end of July, so it's July 25th today, as I record this, we're just within a few days of losing the enhanced unemployment insurance stipend that uh, the feds put through. Um, that's sunsetting at the end of this month. Um, a lot of people are going to lose that extra 600 bucks. Um, a lot of people have received notice, like certainly in New York, they sent out a notice to everyone who's, um, received unemployment up to now that they have to make a claim this week if they want to receive the last of these payments because the money is going to stop. And it doesn't appear as if the 
Republicans in Congress are willing to um, sign on to an extension of this benefit, among other things, because they still feel as though this is too much money to give people who are on unemployment. They still feel as though this is a disincentive, or this is what they say anyway, that they feel that this is too much of a disincentive for people to go back to work. Because they're saying, well, you know, people are making more money being out of work than they are at work, than they were when they had a job. Now, obviously, these legislators in Washington have no idea what it's like to be on unemployment. They've never experienced it, apparently, or they're just pretending that they've never experienced it because that's not the way it works. It's very hard to receive unemployment. If you're called back to work, if you've been laid off and you're called back to work, which is the case with a lot of people, um, you don't get unemployment anymore. It's not like it's a choice. You can't say, nah, I want to stay off and collect unemployment. That's not a choice. And I live in New York. It's not a choice here. Um, And New York is one of the more... um, I'd say, relatively speaking, one of the more generous states to receive unemployment benefits in. It's relatively smooth. They fuck up, it's true. But, I mean, just like any other system, there's there's uh, variations and they they underestimate how much you're making and, and give you uh, a tiny amount instead of the, the full amount. I think the full amount in New York is like $504. Uh, but when you have the $600 enhancement, that ends up being $1,100 a week. A little bit over that, and uh, you know, sometimes they screw that up. But you, you do, you have been getting it if you're unemployed in New York. A lot of other states, it's harder to get. It's harder to get on unemployment. It's harder to stay on unemployment. You have to demonstrate that you're looking for work. You have to demonstrate that that you're um, you're unable to work for whatever reason. And there are, you know, stiff penalties for people who um, receive aid who have the option of working. Um, So if you defraud the system, you know, you've got a huge problem. But still, somehow the Republicans in the U.S. Congress um, still think that this is just a matter of choice for a lot of people. And the only thing that's stopping them from going out and getting some crappy job somewhere is the fact that they're on these generous unemployment benefits that's more or less like their lunch money, like the House of Representatives lunch money um, every week. And um, that this somehow, this untold fortune that we're allowing people to walk away with um, is keeping them from going back to work, which is ridiculous, of course. And probably not the actual reason why they're doing this. This is just their trope. This is the usual trope. You have to force people into doing the right thing, right? It's a moral hazard. If you give them benefits for not working, then they're going to prefer to not work. We have to sort of light a fire under people and make them go out there and do the right thing. Good Lord. What a joke. Anyway... They don't appear to be um, in any kind of a hurry to um, pass a reasonable package that's going to allow people to pay their rent and buy their food and cover their the cost of their medicine and whatever else they need to do. They're not going to do that. 
even though they and their president have caused this problem to begin with, this COVID crisis. They've caused the crisis that we're enduring right now because of their, of their feckless response to it and their denial of it, which they did repeatedly and over an extended period of time in the, in the early months of this year. And we're paying the price for that right now. We had a shutdown. It was a partial shutdown, as Anthony Fauci has pointed out. It was about 50%. Whereas in places like, in countries like Italy, the shutdown was something like 98%. 98% of, of everyone stopped, stopped working. <laughs> Here it was more like 50%. And not only that, but the shutdown really just gives you the opportunity to start catching up with things, to start getting masks and personal protective equipment in production, getting, getting resources in place to meet the challenges of the, um, of the pandemic, getting testing in place, ramping up all the testing and all the, all the infrastructure around testing, um, getting um, hospital capacity up, and contact tracing, and working on contact tracing, testing and contact tracing. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. And when they started loosening up the restrictions, and, and Lord knows, you know, the president was an early adopter of encouraging people to sort of fight to open up their states, you know, liberate Michigan, and liberate Wisconsin, liberate other swing state that I won because they went with that early on, relatively early on. Um, we're seeing the spike. We're seeing an, a rise in cases. Um, and we're looking at a very grim return of this virus. Um, we're already over a thousand deaths a day. It's climbing. And this is a really, this is a really terrible time. So, uh, you know, I want to encourage everyone, anyone who's listening to this, and I know there's two or three of you out there, <laughs> to just do whatever you can for people who are out of work. Encourage um, your legislators to do the right thing, especially if you live in a red state. Um, just pummel your senators. Call them, email them, do whatever you can to encourage them to sign on to some of these worker protections that we need to have in this time of COVID. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that because, again, I say this every time, there are places, sources you can go to that are far better informed than I am. Just listen to them <laughs> um, on this issue. There's plenty of good plenty of good thought out there. You can find it. You don't need me. Anyway, what was I going to talk about today? Well, something that would make these Republicans' heads explode, I think, is really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the value of collective institutions. I mean, from a socialist perspective, there are opportunities for uh, things to work a lot better if they're 
organized for the general good as opposed to private profit. There are tremendous opportunities for this in our society because basically almost everything is run for private profit. Our entire healthcare industry is run for private gain. Even the nonprofit part of it is is basically, I mean, people make huge salaries at nonprofits. They just do. And there's plenty of for-profit business involved in healthcare. That's that's just stuffing its pockets. Essentially, that is the primary goal of the industry. I'm not saying that everyone who's involved in healthcare in the United States is just focused on the profit. A lot of them are, but not not everyone. But the entire system within which they work is focused on gain. How much money this is going to make for shareholders. How much money this is going to make for owners, for businesses. These are private businesses. I'll use my own community as an example. We have had three um, operating hospitals in uh, my home community. Two of them at least had a religious affiliation. One probably did, but it wasn't obvious from the name. They're all nonprofits. Um, They've sort of been organized under the rubric of a um, health system um, entity that is a nonprofit uh, corporation, nonprofit organization that runs all three hospitals. Um, and that system is now in the process of building a new hospital that is going to replace the other hospitals, um, the which are aging. The newest one of the three existing hospitals is the hospital I was born in. And I am 61 years old. So um, it came into service, I think, the year before I was born. So the newest hospital in our area has been added to. It's been expanded. You know, and it's, it's had, it has newer sections added to it. And it's been renovated, you know, God knows how many times. But the newest hospital in the area is, uh, I repeat, um, 62 years old. So, you know, um, it's it was built in the late 1950s, and it looks like it. And because of the limitations of that building, you know, they want to build a modern hospital in this community uh, to, to serve the community with a design that's up to a modern standard of medicine, which I think is a really good idea. I'm a little worried about the capacity since it's seems like what they prefer to do is have just one hospital as opposed to three and sort of um, either offloading um, the space or the the physical plant at at the other three hospitals after they've built their new hospital. Um, That seems like maybe not such a great idea to me, but I'm all in favor of having a brand spanking new hospital with nice wide um, corridors and, you know, the most modern equipment and all all kinds of stuff um, that modern hospitals have. I think that's a really good idea. They are building it in in the center of of the main city around here, Utica. And 
Um, there's been a lot of controversy about the location of it, but I'm going to, I'm going to set that aside because that's been talked about quite a bit on a local level. There's been a lot of, uh, back and forth about this. There's been lawsuits. Um, I, I'm not going to wade into that. Um, it's, I, I have opinions about it, but I just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into that. That's not what I'm really talking about. What I'm talking about is this private entity that manages all of the, practically all of the health um, resources in the area. Not not all, but this is the company that owns all of the hospitals. And I'm, I'm not trying to paint them as like some kind of nefarious actor, right? This is a nonprofit entity that owns all of the hospitals in the area and runs all of the hospitals in the area. And they are building a new hospital in uh, the inner city um, of Utica. And the reason why they're able to do that is because they're getting massive reimbursement from New York State. Because they're locating the hospital within a, in the main population center of this, of this region, there are certain there are more specific requirements for for getting state aid but be, one of the reasons why they're locating it within the city limits is that that is one of the conditions of receiving state aid and the state aid amounts to um more than half of the actual cost of building the new hospital now what's my point here and my my point goes back to what i was saying initially about you know collective institutions as as opposed to sort of private private institutions privately owned and managed institutions no shade on on this uh health system provider but this is an unaccountable system it's an unaccountable private system run by a board um and it has you know it has its own mission that it's that it's developed but it is not something that's controlled by the public it is building a hospital with public money hundreds of millions of dollars of public money now that's one piece of it the other piece is that the rest of the money that it's using to build this new hospital which is probably i don't know somewhere on the order of 150 to 200 million i'm not sure is money that they've <laughs> that's either been donated or is a product of of basically charging the living hell out of everyone who goes to the hospital. So my example I've discussed on the show before, right? Um, I went to the hospital for four days. Um, I got a bill for my doctor that amounted to, you know, um, for an operation, he charged my insurance company something like $8,000, I paid like 50 bucks for that. The hospital charged my insurance company initially $50,000 plus for a four-day stay. They were allowed a $37,000 billing. And my part of that is five grand, which I am still paying. Okay. I've griped about this before, so I'm not going to go into this in detail. But the point I'm trying to make is that if that was my experience... That's the experience of hundreds of people around here. Um, did I use $37,000 worth of resources when I was in that hospital? 
I don't think so. Right? I don't think so. So, uh, it's a money machine. And why are we set up this way? Why is a public good like a hospital? I mean, we need a hospital, right? Like any community, we need a decent hospital. Like any community, it would be nice if it was a modern hospital that had modern technology and was attracting, you know, a, a better quality of medical provider, perhaps, make it a little bit more attractive to work here, um, which is kind of a relative backwater, um, this area. Does it make sense that that resource is in private hands, particularly when the public is paying for the vast majority of it? The majority of the cost of this facility is going to be paid for by the public. And whatever's left over that's paid for by the private en- entity, you're talking about an entity that's uh, you know charging people $37,000 to stay there for four days. Right, so that money's coming out of the public pocket too. It's just not considered a tax, right? I mean, anything could be considered a tax. Anything that you might otherwise receive without charge in a more civilized society like any other industrialized society. When you get sick, you don't get a big fat bill. In fact, in some countries like Britain, they ask you if you need money when you leave the hospital, after an operation, after an accident, after an emergency room visit. They're not charging you. And I know what people will say. I know what the criticism is. It's like, oh, they pay a lot of taxes. Well, yeah, but I'm paying a lot of taxes right now. I call it paying my hospital for the privilege of having been there for four days. And don't get me wrong. They treated me well. The nurses treated me well. Excellent people skilled people. They kept my spirits up and they helped me. In fact, they saved my life. And the doctor, excellent work. My hat's off to them. But they're just part of a system. It's the system that's the problem. I'm all for medical professionals being compensated properly. I don't expect anybody to work for nothing, especially in jobs that are as high stress as that. But really any job, right? And right now, they're under a lot of pressure. When I saw them, they were under a tremendous amount of pressure because it was, the, it was right at the height of the COVID crisis in New York State. It was in April. My stay in the hospital was in April. What I'm saying is that the fact that they work for a private entity that is providing a public good doesn't make any sense to me. Now, maybe I'm just a dyed-in-the-wool collectivist, but it seems to me like these resources should be in the hands of the public in some, in some kind of mediated way, at least, so that whatever institution is running them is accountable to the public and not just to its shareholders, not just to the people, people who run the private entity, right? And I'm, you know, I'm picking on the local healthcare industry, just as an example. There are plenty of other, there are plenty of other aspects of our economy that we can talk about that, that have the same type of problem, maybe even more acute in some ways. 
The energy industry. Everybody needs energy. Why is it in private hands? Right? There are public utilities, sure, but it's mediated. You know, and when I have a problem with, with our electricity, I have to call National Grid. That's a, that's a private entity. They may be required to do certain things, but honestly, National Grid is owned by a company that is based in the UK. National Grid does very little in the way of routine maintenance because they're trying to squeeze as much money out of this, out of, out of this grid, out of the upstate New York grid, and probably every other one that they're involved in, um, as they possibly can. And the more you spend on maintenance, the less profit you make. Why are we doing it that way? Why are we allowing unaccountable private tyrannies to run the system that keeps our lights on, that keeps our heat running? It's just insane. And I feel the same way about, uh, about medicine. You know, I mean, I think if the public is paying for the hospital in downtown Utica, that, should, that hospital should belong to us. And we should have some say as to what happens with it. But the fix with that problem is a lot more complicated than just who owns the hospital, right? It's the entire system. It's the entire medical system in that case. How do people become medical providers? What are the incentives? Why do people become specialists as opposed to general practitioners? How are they incentivized, right? If it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to medical school, are you going to want to take a position as a primary care physician somewhere and make, you know, not all that much money? Or are you going to go into a specialty and, uh, and just rake it in. What are you going to do? The incentives are all in the wrong direction. I'm not saying we don't need specialists. Sure. But we also need primary care providers. There's a public interest in, in providing health care. Everyone has an interest in this because everyone needs it at some point. Just like everyone has an interest in in um, energy transmission because everyone needs energy, <laughs> right? Everyone needs food, right? Everyone needs shelter. Everyone needs water. We realize at some level that, you know, there is a reason to have a public good like water, for instance, be uh, in at least to some extent subject to um, the public will, and responsive to the public will. So we have a water board, right? That's true around here. That's not true everywhere. We're at the end of decades of privatization uh, during this neoliberal economic period that really kicked into high gear during the 1970s. And uh, we're living through the results of it. Where do we go from here? Again, I'm probably not the right person to ask about this. There are plenty of people who've done a lot more thinking than I have on this. Um, I think Richard Wolff has some pretty interesting ideas. 
as to how to build a co-op sector alongside the capitalist um, free market sector, the the private tyranny sector, essentially. <laughs> He's got some good ideas in that, in that sense. He's got a theory of change that is that seems reasonable. Um, I am very interested to hear what other people's theory of change is, how we get from where we are to where we need to go, because there are problems facing us right now that cannot be solved using this neoliberal model, using this privatized model. If the primary entities in public life are being driven by the profit motive, we are not going to get anywhere on the most serious issues facing us right now. And I'm talking about climate change. I'm talking about COVID. I'm talking about health in general. Um, I'm talking about war and peace. If we're driven by private profit, we're driving off a cliff. And we need to handle this. So what can I say, folks? I don't have the answer. Maybe you have the answer. If you've got the answer, I hope you'll tell me. That's really all I've got for this week on that. I really would like to hear what you have to say. I've gotten zero feedback um, over the course of the last 20 episodes, and I would really like to hear from you folks. Set me straight. Come on the show with me. We can do a Zoom session. I'd be happy to turn this into a conversation. I think that would be really fun. I'm sick of talking to myself. (laughs) And you're probably sick of listening to me talk to myself. So um, you can find um, the means of sending me feedback at anchor.fm slash strange sound. There you'll find the means of um, leaving a voicemail. Um, I will be glad to listen to any voicemail that people leave. I will be glad to respond to it. I'll be glad to play it on the show. You can also contact me via Twitter. I'm at Strange Sound Pod. If you go to big-green.net and click on the podcast tab, it will take you to a link to our Strange Sound page. Um, that isn't very well built out, I have to say, but there are links on the Strange Sound landing page um, to our various um, social media properties on Twitter and on Facebook. So if you want to interact with us that way, that's fine. Please do. Um, Otherwise, um, I'd be glad to hear from you. So just reach out. Tell me what's right. Tell me what's wrong. And that's all I got. Um, One last thing. I just wanted to mention in passing, one of my favorite... uh, podcasters michael brooks has passed away this past week um shockingly at the early age of 37 uh i just want to say how sorry i am to hear this and he um this is a tremendous loss great voice very funny very progressive um really enjoyed listening to him um he will be sorely missed so 
my condolences to all. In any case, stay safe out there. We'll see you next time. This has been Strange Sound with Joe. Thanks for tuning in.